How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Welcome to the Mea Culpa series of this podcast. In this particular podcast series, I'm going to be interviewing、uh, friends, families, colleagues to、uh, share with you, the audience, the different mistakes that have been done、uh, in their personal lives. And when I mean mistakes, I'm talking about financial mistakes, of course. The goals of these.、Um, Mea culpa series is really to give the audience、uh, a sense of what real life、uh, financial mistakes people have been doing. So I'm hoping that you enjoy this series of podcast、uh, and learn from、um, other people's mistakes, like、uh, we would do in、uh, mortality and morbidity rounds、uh, in medicine. So I guess this is、uh, something similar. You know the saying. Dumb people never learn from their mistakes. Smart people learn from their own mistakes, but wise people learn from others' mistakes. And welcome to this podcast. How is my financial health doc podcast? And today I have with me my good friend MJ. Uh, MJ is a good friend who's willing to share his story and、uh, share one of his、uh, financial challenges, so that we hopefully can all learn. So,、uh, welcome to the show, MJ. Hi, thank you for having me. So, MJ,、uh, tell us a little bit about yourself,、uh, a little bit of background, so that we get a, a sense of、uh, who you are and what we we can help you with. Yeah, thanks a lot. So, I'm a practicing physician right now, and I have. Recently finished a fellowship about a year ago, and prior to that, I moved to Canada about three years ago, and in pursuit of this fellowship, with the intent of going back to、um, where I had my medical training and, and and practice. So I brought my my wife along with my then two children、uh, to come over here to do some. Uh, subspecialty training, and during the course of that, I had a third child, and and so that's where I am right now.、Um, but having come over to Canada, we decided that this was a good place to stay, and and we've decided to do that. Okay, very well. And、uh, so you were planning of going back to、um, your place of training, but you've decided to stay in Canada. I think the best country in the world. So I think that's a great decision,、uh, MJ. Absolutely. Okay, so MJ, tell us a little bit about、um, where your career will head. I believe that you finished your fellowship, and so where's the future for you now, professionally? Yeah, so I'm in the process of starting up my independent practice. So I'm still、um, developing that, and、uh, from a financial standpoint, I'm. Probably earning about a fifth of what a regular specialist earns in my field. Okay, and when would be the time where you would be 
hitting where most people in your field would be earning? Would that be in a year, in two years, in three years? Where do you anticipate that to be? Yeah, the plan would be to have that increase year by year. And I think it would hit the, the um, provincial or average of around two years, I would say, two to three years. Okay, very good. Uh, I understand from our previous conversation that when you moved to Canada, you sold a lot of your assets uh, back home to come here. And so by the time you came here, you had enough savings, uh, but that was about it. And for the fellowship that you uh, did here, you've depleted all those savings and you're now starting with a clean slate. Yeah, that's, that's very fair to say. So um, prior to coming to, to Canada, I was told by many of my colleagues and predecessors that I would have to um, use up savings in order to maintain uh, the you know, usual standard of living, uh, particularly with children and family. And so we sold our house and took what was left of that money, as well as any savings that we had, did have at that point. And, and we've used that during our, my last few years here. You mentioned in our previous discussion that you felt some regret uh, about, you know, having to sell all those assets. Tell us a little bit about that. In terms of my financial journey, speaking, it took me a long time to become financially independent whilst I was in my previous country of training. And, and I was looking forward to be able to save and to build a, a, a future for um, my children in terms of their expected uh, academic pursuits and the tuition. And so coming over to Canada, I knew that that would set it back a couple of years. And now that I'm starting to have an opportunity to save looking forward, um, I feel that there was a lot of time lost because of that. It's not so much of a regret, but I, I do feel that I've, I've lost a lot of time there. I think the, the sense of loss is there, but you know, I see it very differently. Uh, even financially, I see it very differently. Um, mm -hmm. We've talked about this, but I do want to mention that the time and effort that you've spent in investing in yourself, because truly that's what it was, um, the asset that you had back in your country that you sold to build up this saving to be able to come and complete your fellowship and to do what you're doing now and move forward, it, it is not lost. All those are investments. And whether you call it an investment in a portfolio of bonds and stocks, or whether it's an investment in education, an investment in yourself, those are investments that got you to where you are now. And where you are now will take you to the future. And if you just ask yourself, had you not done that, you wouldn't be where you are now anyways. Those investments are definitely not lost. And, and those investments are actually investment for your future. And as you mentioned, for your kids' futures. Our discussion uh, when we started this podcast was about within about a year or two, you'll be where most uh, specialists would be financially, at least from a salary perspective, and so in about a year or two, you'll be equivalent to your colleagues. And the question that you had was, how do I move forward? Uh, how do I put my best foot forward? I feel that now that I've 
started without any debt and, and I'm moving forward with a projected income that will give us me enough um, buffer to start saving. I wanna know what avenues and opportunities do I have with the time remaining in my career to save enough for my three kids in terms of their tuition and how can I um, make sure that if anything were to happen to me, um, that my family will be in a good financial situation where they won't be, that my passing away or an injury may not be too burdensome? Those are uh, excellent questions, MJ. And my thought on that is, yes, we need to save for the future and we need to save for our kids, but we also need to save for current. This is a savings for actually two main purposes. I'm not quite sure what is your level of financial literacy, MJ, but it seems like you will need some help, first of all, with some proper planning, right? There are lots of goals that you would like to achieve going forward. Uh, I think goals for yourself, goals for your spouse, and goals for your kids, but also goals in terms of your lifestyle. How do you want to uh, go forward? What type of lifestyle would you want to live uh, and experience over the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years while we're still on this side of the planet? Mm -hmm. And so all those need to be uh, properly evaluated and setting goals and objectives and at least knowing where we're going. And so my first uh, impression would be uh, definitely uh, understand financial literacy a little bit more from a personal perspective, but also get uh, proper ad advice from financial advisor or financial planner. Start working on a process because it is a process and a journey. And as a corollary to my concerns there, there's a question certainly of timing, because although I feel that I have already lost a lot of time that I can't gain back, because currently speaking, we are just about breaking even. And if I were to continue on this path for, say, the next year, should I start looking into forms of saving and what would that look like now? Or should I wait until I start earning more to think about that at that point? You know, we typically say the best time to start saving is yesterday. And the second best time to start saving is now. Mm -hmm. And to your question, my answer would be absolutely start saving now. But it's not a exclusion, right? It's not like I'm going to start saving, but not uh, buying assets. Or I can start saving, but I'm not going to invest. There, you know, in life, there's there's not always just one answer. There's always A and B. It's not just A or B. And so there's definitely ways to do A and B together uh, at the same time. It's just a question of finding the right uh, solution uh, that is appropriate for your current situation and your current lifestyle and your current and future goals. How do we do that? Have you thought about 
how you would mitigate this uh, in terms of risk? How would what are the things that you've already done? So I do have life insurance, but I know that there's a lot of different strategies to to mitigate that risk. That um, that I need to gain more financial literacy, as you say. Is it a term life or is it a uh, whole life? It's a term life. Term life with a fixed term ten or term twenty or what was what was the amount? Term ten for a million. One term ten for a death benefit of one million at the current time. Correct. Do you have any risk mitigation for your salary, for example? No, no, I don't have any um, of that. No. I think there are two issues that we can hit on to talk about.、Uh, one is how to protect your paycheck and to protect your salary,、mm-hmm. and two, you know, what does it mean to have enough risk protection against death? At the same time, talking about can I do both and can I do all three together at the same time, in addition to saving and investing. Uh, because we would want to do all three, all four, all five at the same time. Obviously, you know, cash flow would be an issue. But moving forward, we anticipate that the cash flow issue will become less and less relevant. Hopefully, as we attain in about a year or two, a little bit more salary. Back in the other country, even as a practicing physician, did you have a disability insurance? I did, but that's because I had a mortgage at that point. So I thought that that was my thinking that I needed to protect my family because I had debt, and and the moment I started having children, that's when I had a disability insurance as well as life insurance. So when to when you moved to Canada to do your fellowship. Uh, what were the different factors that、um, made you decide not to get disability、uh, at that point? I didn't have any debt at that point,、um, and I just wasn't earning enough to pay off any policy in my mind. That was my thinking. When you were in、uh, the other country, do you recall how much was disability insurance per year? I actually don't. <laughs> You don't recall, okay? Disability insurance is, in fact, expensive.、Uh, I'm not going to lie.、Mm. It is expensive. That's what I recall.、Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which is why I didn't even think about it when I came over on, on a fellow salary. <laughs> yes, and and I think that's the most common reason why、uh, people don't purchase disability insurance because of the reasons of cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think we recognize that we all need it. It's just a question: is do I have the cash flow for it? That's right. Now moving forward, I think it is something that you should consider seriously, especially to protect the investment that you have already made so far.、Mm-hmm. And it's not so much, you know, for me, it's not so much. Protection for the future. I mean, obviously, disability insurance is the protection for the future and future income. But you have said something that is really, really important to me: is I have spent a lot of time, effort, and money to get to where I am, and that 
alone is worth protecting. So just imagine that you know you're skiing down Blue Mountain,、uh, and you hit a and you hit a, a patch of ice, and you slip and you twist your knee, and you know as you're recuperating from that knee injury. Complications can arise, and you're all of a sudden not able to work for six months, seven months, eight months, or even up to a year, depending on the type of complication. You can imagine that month on a monthly basis, the amount that you may be losing, and if you multiply that by twelve months, is that twelve months? And I'm just thinking of just one year disability. Just in that twelve months, do you believe that? The amount that you pay in disability is worth protecting, right? Yeah, that's a good point. The answer is yes. You and I obviously think that we do need disability insurance, and the question is, how do I manage the cash flow? That's the question.、Mm-hmm. The second、uh, thing that we came to is the question of life insurance of the one million term life insurance. You know, if you ask. Most brokers and most financial planners about how much is needed in terms of life insurance to properly mitigate risk. They'll come up with different values, different numbers, different schemes to evaluate.、Mm-hmm. And the answer it it depends. <laughs> When it comes to life insurance, the answer is always it depends. So in your mind, MJ, did you have a certain number where you think? Would be appropriate for you to achieve. Obviously, you've got the one million dollars now, but what was in your mind? What the right number would be? Have you thought about that? The fact that I'm planning on making sure the three of my children, assuming that they want to go to post-secondary education and and possibly a professional degree after that, it's likely that I'll need to have about two hundred fifty, three hundred. Thousand dollars for their tuition, and putting everything together, I would have thought I'd need about at least two to three million、uh, for the three of them. Two to three million is a number that is ballpark. Thinking of how I want to do this, but that only covers for the tuition for the kids. Let's assume.、Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also, you know, the fact that your spouse may survive you, right? So. Should you pass away, your spouse would still be having to care for your kids. The two three million is enough for tuition, but what about food? What about what about shelter?、Uh, what about clothing? Right. So all those need to be factored in. There are sev- several ways to think about what that magic number would be, but again, all that needs to be planned out with a financial planner, and and it's based also on life goals. And goals for your family. I've taken a few things out. You've invested in yourself. You've invested in your future and your family. And you need to protect what you currently have, so that Your future is protected because if you don't protect what you currently have, you can't really protect your future. From a financial order of operation, there's a few things that I think needs to be considered going forward. One is risk mitigation, but two, the question of saving, which we haven't even answered yet. Have you thought of how you wanted to proceed with the saving? What were what were the different ideas you had in your mind? 
Yeah, I think this is where the financial literacy is really important because I think the first step, as you say, is to get good financial advice. And, and that is one of my first questions. Of course, I need to start saving yesterday. And the question is, how do I do that? You know, I think merely putting it in the bank, especially in, in today's uh, climate, is probably the worst thing to do. Um, so the question is, what what is what is available to me based on the amount I can put aside in addition to everything else that I need to do? Um, and and moving forward, if I do have extra cash uh, in the future, what is my first step at that point? What have you considered so far? Bonds or RSSP. Of course, I've thought about stocks, but that's clearly not the answer. <laughs> uh, why do you say that? Because of COVID and how the financial market seems to fluctuate so quickly and so volatile, that amount of risk is not something that I'm willing to take. Understood. Understood. In terms of saving uh, vehicles, there are several. Saving is different from investing. Uh, we invest for the future, but when we invest for the future, we're talking about a far future. Uh, we're talking about five, 10, 20 years from now. When we're talking about saving, we're talking about one to two years from now too. So mm -hmm. it's a near future. But it doesn't mean that we can't save for the far future. We definitely shouldn't invest for the near future because if I, if I need that money for the next year or two and the market crashes by 20%, I, I may not have enough money for something that I need in about a year or two. So we mm -hmm. definitely cannot invest for the near future. We invest for the far future, but we can definitely save for the near future and we can all definitely save for the far future. And so uh, saving is something that is a uh, lower risk. Typically, lower risk comes with lower return, but not always. Mm -hmm. Investment typically is a higher risk, higher return, but again, not necessarily. So we can, we can have higher risk, but not necessarily higher returns. And so from that perspective, investment is sort of like gambling. And it depends on how much time you have to gamble. Now, with a casino, when you walk into a house, the house is always wins. If you sit there long enough and you play long enough, if you walked in with $100, you will walk out with zero. Investment is a little bit of the reverse. If you walk in with $100 and you sit there long enough, the likelihood is that you'll walk up with more than $100 because if we look at the trend of the market, the market typically has seven years of positivity and three years of negative return. The problem is we don't know which those three years are <laughs> and we don't know where they appear. And so it's sort of like a gambling. But if you sit there for long enough and you sit there for 10 years, 15, 20 years, the likelihood and the chances are you're still 70% coming out positive and 30% coming out negative. But if you sit there for 10, 20, 30 years, the likelihood is you'll come out positive. You just don't know when and how. Whereas with saving, if you sit there next year, it'll still be positive. In two years, it'll be positive. In 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, it'll be positive. 
because typically in saving, we're talking about vehicles that have a more stability and security. Knowing whether you want to save or you want to invest depends on a few factors. One, your age, your uh, goals and objectives in life for yourself and for your family, your risk tolerance, your risk capacity. These are all financial words that I think people need to understand from a very basic standpoint. And your time horizon. And what time horizon mean is, do I need that money in one year or do I need that money in 30 years? If I need that money in one year, then I definitely don't want to put something risky. But if I want it in 30 years, then yes, I can tolerate some risk because I don't need that money right now and I need it in 30 years. And therefore, I can tolerate the up and down, up and down, hoping 70% of the time I'll be positive and only 30% of the time I'll be negative. But overall, in 30 years, I'll be positive. And so the longer time horizon I have, the more risk I can take. Depending on what your own financial preference is and your own goals, you may want to say, I want to save versus I want to invest. That being said, as I mentioned earlier, we can do both. We can both save and invest. I would never say to people, you know, just save or just invest. Obviously, do both. When you said, yeah, I'm not going to do stocks, and I ask you why, and you said, yeah, because of the volatility, well, you know, you could still do stocks with the goal of needing that money in 20, 25, 30 years from now, right? And you should still invest. But if you needed something for your children, let's say in the next eight years, seven years, because one of your children needs to go to university, then you may want something that is a little bit more uh, stable and secure. And so you may want to do both planning for the near future and planning for the far future. Makes a lot of sense. Thank you. In the different ways to save, I'm just going to talk about saving alone. What other vehicles have you considered so far that is part of what is in line with your own philosophy? Have you thought of anything else? I've not explored too much, but of course there are RSPs, yes. So RSP is just an account. Uh, It's not a saving tool or saving vehicle. It's uh, Think of it as a bucket. So it's a bucket. But what I put in the bucket, do I put oranges? Do I put apples? Do, do I put prunes? So it's the same thing as what do I put in that, in that bucket? Do I put stocks? Do I put bonds? Do I put the uh, certificates, GICs? Or do I, um, do I put it in uh, mutual funds or do I put it in ETFs? So those are the different vehicles whereas the RSP is a bucket. And so when you think about saving, typically we think about a savings account with a bank. We typically think of GICs, which is guaranteed investment certificates that gives you a certain interest rate, very stable, very secure. But given our current you know, interest rate um, 
environment, they're very, very low. So it doesn't even beat inflation. So you end up losing money. Um, and then there are saving vehicles within a insurance policy, which is uh, universal life or participating life. Those offer typically somewhere between 575 to 6.25% on a participating life. Uh, so think of that portion as a saving vehicle that offers a portion that is guaranteed and another portion that is paid in dividend at somewhere between 575 to 6.25%. And that is a saving mechanism living inside an insurance policy. And so with that particular vehicle or that particular tool, you actually hit two birds with one stone. You hit the um, risk mitigation portion for the life insurance, and you also hit the saving portion with a certain guarantee and a certain stability to meet your savings objective. Mm -hmm. And so there are definitely other tools out there. These are not the only tools. In terms of investment, again, you can invest in the market in a stock, bond, uh, mutual fund, ETF, in a REIT index fund, but you can also invest within an insurance policy called a universal life policy, um, which also gives you that, that death benefit, but the universal life policy cash value go up and down with the market and offers a little bit more risk than a participating life policy. But again, you kind of hit two birds with one stone there as well. You hit the uh, protection in life policy and you also hit the investment goal as well. Hmm. And so with that insurance product, you can hit two birds with one stone. In fact, uh, I've talked about this in my other podcast. It actually hits another bird, uh, which I'm going to talk about right now, is the emergency fund. And so if you think about you know, the cash value sitting inside either a participating life or a cash value sitting inside a universal life, that cash value is sitting there for you to use at your discretion. And so that cash value could be your emergency fund. And so you don't have to build a separate emergency fund. There's a fourth bird you can hit. I'm so sorry about these birds. They're, they're going <laughs> to they're gonna be traumatized. <laughs> but the, the fourth bird that you can hit with this is actually building your uh, reserve for your kid's tuition. Yeah. Right? So now you've got a cash value sitting in there waiting just to be used for your kid's university tuition. A fifth stone that you can hit, uh, sorry, a fifth bird that you can hit with one stone is again, think of that cash value as cash sitting inside for you to use at your discretion, which means should a house come up, should a condo come up and you say, I really wanna purchase this house or we really wanna purchase this condo, well, you now have money, not only for the deposit, but you now have money to actually pay out the entire property if it's, if it's low enough or at least get you started. 
that cash value is to use at your discretion at whatever way you want to use it but obviously use it smart and use it intelligently but the that type of vehicle can definitely hit several birds uh, with one stone Coming back to the question of risk mitigation, we've talked about disability. We talked about term insurance uh, and life insurance and how much we need. That's a question of it depends. And then a question of how do I start saving? It's a very complicated question. I agree with you. And it's not simple to answer and definitely need some advice and some professional, professional advice. I really appreciate those take-home messages and uh, start yesterday. Start yesterday. But uh, you already did start yesterday. Uh, You just didn't know you did. Uh, (laughs) And and that for me is the fact that all those investments are now paving the road for future security. And so you've already started saving. You just didn't know that you did. Yeah. No, I appreciate all that advice and it's invaluable. And the next step is really to gain better financial literacy to know what vehicles and tools to use. At the end of the day, I really didn't give you any precise answers, right? Hopefully provided sort of a roadmap or sort of a direction and sort of a few things to reflect on. But uh, hopefully I did not give you a specific answer. Should I have given you a specific specific answer, I would have done great disservice. I appreciate the principles. I think that's good because I think somebody who is in my situation who may not know very much should feel a little bit overwhelmed to say that, oh, I've got a problem. I need to really invest time in this. Your scenario, even though you're not new to practice, your scenario is very typical of someone who's just starting practice. Thank you very much, MJ, for coming on to the show and uh, sharing with us your story and the different questions that you have, which by the way, are some of the most important and poignant questions that I would say most brand new grads would have, but also uh, most physicians and healthcare professionals who have to deal with financial questions and having to deal with a profession and a career and kids. So these are definitely tough questions. Thank you very much for sharing your experience with us. Thank you for your time. Well, if you like this show and you've learned a ton, please share with your colleagues. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.